Hi, welcome to Two Girls, One Journey. I'm Naya. I'm Gabby. Here we talk about all things kidney beans. And everything in between. Hi everybody, it is Naya and... This is Gabby, your host of Two Girls, One Journey. What's going on? I hope everyone is doing well. A little quick catch-up. There's nothing really to catch you guys up on from my end, to be honest. Medicine adjustments and all that fun stuff, but overall, doing well, doing well. And um, You're here. That's the most important part. Yes, ma'am. Amen to that. I love that. So, this episode is kind of like a 2.0. Gabby is going to revisit her journey and tell us about her story with kidney disease a little bit more in detailed uh we did another like little listen of our past episodes and um we sound like we're underwater so that too but um you know gabby isn't used to uh sharing her story with as much time as she needs and um i just want to give her the opportunity to you know do what she needs to do and share her story and um why not revisit it yeah like you said i usually talk um like i have a very long story i'm almost 30 years old but when i get the chance to actually share my story it's always like in an elevator and i have like 30 seconds to pack in i have 30 years to pack 30 seconds in you know and so or when i go to congress and so it has to all be condensed so here is my non-spark notes so picture this thursday february 10th 1994 I don't know what the weather was like, but you know, I was coming into the world, so I'm gonna say it was bright and sunny because bam, there I am. Anyway, so um, I was born, my parents knew that I had an issue before I was born, but initially um, with testing and stuff, they thought that I actually had no bladder, so they initially told my parents that I wasn't going to be born, or I would be born without a bladder, which obviously, you know, means I would not be here. So they didn't think I would initially make it. Well, joke's on them because I was meant to be here and I'm here. And hmm? yeah. yeah. So um, what happened when my mom gave birth to me, they realized that um, I came out really, really pudgy. I was a fat baby. I can show you my pictures um, in the video or whatever and have them linked. But I was a fat baby because I had a lot of fluid retention because my um, ureters had kinks in them. So the kinks in the ureters, the ureters are what the um, urine passes through to like go. And because I had kinks in my ureters, all the fluid was backed up. And so that's why I was pudgy. And... Um, the kink in my ureters, we're not sure what caused it or how it came about. Um, my mom thinks that she took a water pill or something because she went to the doctor and she, um, they called her and, um, she was going to take the medicine. She's been taking medicine. They're like, oh, hey, by the way, hope you didn't take that, but you're pregnant. And she's like, oh, okay. But, you know, we didn't think really much at any of anything of it. But then when I was born, um, I was born at St. Joe's in hospital and they didn't have the equipment to help me. So they actually had to airlift me by helicopter over to, uh, at the time in St. Petersburg, it was All Children's Hospital. And when I got to All Children's Hospital, um, they ended up putting a stent in 
and the stent worked and got all the fluid out and I was able to live for two years without dialysis until my second birthday. Was that a stent in both your ureters? No, it was just a stent in one ureter because one kidney formed just a little bit, like probably enough for me to live those two years and the other one didn't form at all. So I technically was only born with like a 10%, maybe 20 a function of one kidney. So I was able to live until two years old with that. And then at two years old, I started hemodialysis and I did that for six months. Actually, I don't even know how long I did it to be honest, but I did hemo for a little while and then um, we learned about peritoneal dialysis. So my parents um, put me on PD and I would sleep in their room with them. And my mom would, um, my dad would put me on because he worked nights and then my mom would take me off. So before he went to work, and um, <clears throat> so that's how my journey started in the kidney world. And I believe I did that for about two, two and a half, th- three years tops, because a month before my fifth birthday was when I had my transplant from my dad. So, quick question: What was your official diagnosis? So they never really gave me an official diagnosis. They just always called it a malformation. They and then once I started dialysis, they called it end stage renal disease. But I don't think at the time there was necessarily a, um, a a diagnosis, if that makes sense. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, considering that you had no kidney function, it's basically like end stage. I mean, it's diseased basically, right. so there's no actual name for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I got my transplant a month before my fifth birthday from my dad, and. Uh, looking back, um, like I was telling Naya, in my last interview, I said that, you know, we never, we kind of just expected my brother to step up. And I didn't mean it like any sort of way. I just meant like, I guess, like Naya made a good point. I was telling her about this. And I said, it wasn't really talked about in my family or in my household that I would ever have to do this again. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was talked about again amongst, you know, my brother and my parents. But as far as me, I think they were trying to protect me. And then you said they were ultimately trying to protect themselves because they probably don't want to go through that again either. Um, yeah, because obviously, like, I'm coming in with multiple perspectives. I'm an outside perspective. So, like, I can never imagine having to be a parent, seeing my child go through that. And, you know, there is something you're guarding your child and you're guarding them for a good reason, too, you know. But I think in the process of doing that, you're guarding yourself. Because as we've had many conversations off the podcast, but, like, um, when you're a parent, I'm not a parent yet, but I'm knowing how I am and knowing how I am with my cats, like, I'm going to do everything to keep you alive. Like, and sometimes parents put themselves first. I mean, they put themselves last. And then by doing so, you still have to protect yourself because parents are human. Um, So it's not necessarily like a bad thing, but it's sometimes like, you know, it's hard. I can never just imagine like having to do that. So I can see like why they would want to have that, sensation of hopefully we never have to do this again like until future future time like so I wholeheartedly try to give you that perspective too I mean I had a normal childhood growing up as far as I can remember um they always treated me normally but you know they were always very protective so something that I always wanted to do growing up was play soccer but they told me no so we would compromise and find something else that I could do that wasn't going to because of the kidney, when you're pediatric, they put it like right in your stomach and in your abdomen. So if a ball, if I took a ball there, then that could, you know, lead to potential rejection or whatever or destruction of the kidney. So that's why 
<clears throat> so we compromised and we did dance, but let's not even get into that because I can't dance. I mean, no, sh- no hate to my parents. I love my parents, but honestly, they did me such a big disservice. I thought, you know, on one hand, growing up, I thought like, yeah, I'm different and I got to take care of myself, but I never, and it's not that I didn't appreciate that my dad gave me, but because it happened to me so young, I couldn't remember going through dialysis and doing stuff like that. I, the only thing I remember, and plus when you're little, my parents controlled my diet and, you know, everything I did about my daily life, so it didn't affect me. And I, which is why I think it hit me so hard when I did have to start going back on dialysis. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that because obviously your parents take care of you. Your parents um, control like your your dietary regulations. They control those things while doing the best to keep you as a normal childhood because obviously kids deserve to have a normal childhood, right? But then you had to go back on dialysis at a very crucial time when you were 21. And let's be honest, 21-year-olds, you're 21, but you don't know shit about life. No, no matter I mean, depending on things, but for the most part, you're little twerps. So, <laughs> so you know, that's also a big transition there for yourself because not only, like, a life, and technically, technically, and, like, as you age, I think, 21 in that time, such a pivotal time. Oh, absolutely. Growth. And, you know, like you said, 21 years old, what are, what are you focused on? Drinking, friends, partying, going out? Okay, I have to rebuttal that because I think everyone is different in that sense. Like, I... For even 21, I wasn't really a big partier. I was trying to figure myself out, like, school, career-wise, and, yeah, having, like, my friendships and things like that were important to me, but, like, the aspect of going out to drink or smoke or dance. We, I used to dance, like, maybe twice a month, and most of the time it'd be, like, hanging out with my cousins or, like, just with my See, best friend. not me. I lived the high life, man. I was dr- living out of my car, staying where I could, like, just, I mean, I'm not, it's not moment in my life I was proud of but at the same time like I had so much fun that when this happened and it all came crashing down I was like I, I, this sounds so bad now but like looking back on it and I'm like wow back then I think I was more focused on like okay well I need a kitty so I can go have fun again and that's not where I am today at all so it's kind of different to see my my um perspective change see that and I think that goes back to where we're you know we started with this conversation that from an outside perspective and your friend I don't think you understood the magnitude of what your life would encompass because you led such a quote-unquote normal life compared to like maybe someone who's also had the same same or similar situation Um, so like now you can see like that growth you've had you know so then my question to you is like knowing everything you know now knowing and experiencing what you've experienced do you have any like regrets do you have any things you wish you would have changed I don't have regrets because I feel like everything happens for a reason (laughs) and I feel like at one point or another no matter what you how you go into this um what am I trying to say I feel like at one point everybody always feels how I felt in the beginning because you're going from such a drastic change from quote-unquote normal to a big change and you're so used to going out and doing fun things and I mean hell to this day like sometimes on a sunny day I drive on the beach and I see people jet skiing and I'm like I get like so emotional because I'm like I would love to go and do something like that um so I think at one point in another in everybody's journey like they sort of feel what I'm trying to say in a in a way 
I'm not understanding because like what's the feeling that you feel because I don't think you articulated that like in the beginning I felt like I was just missing out on life I was so worried about what everybody else is doing and all the fun things that I'm saying people do and my only focus was that I needed to get a kidney so that I could go do those things again And now my focus is I need to get a kidney so that I can, one, better myself, two, make this situation better for others because, I mean, I can't, I got to be my optimum, you know, my prime to be able to help others and myself. Yeah, no, I wholeheartedly understand, like, having to go through your journey and hopefully, you know, transplant and things like that because that's kind of happened to me. I had to fix myself in order to be able to be in the mindset and even physically just being tired all the time and mind fog so I totally get that too and another part I want to bring up is that like and I think you're still going through this is that you could live on dialysis and have ESRD you have minimal restrictions sometimes and you can still live life and I think that's what you're you're still going through you're learning with like learning to balance yourself in all aspects dialysis and all of that so that what you feel I think I felt something different I think maybe maybe it's an age thing because when I went into failure technically I was 28 um but my mentality was like I need to get better because I don't want to I don't want this to be my life if I have the option to change this I'm going to right not because I wanted to experience life in terms of like the fun aspect so this isn't not to be like I don't want to have fun but I wanted to be with my husband I wanted to be with my family those things come first to me because I could be sitting on a rock with my family and my friends and that would be like the happiest thing to me that's fun for me you know and then second would be the experiences of traveling and um you know I don't know jumping out of a plane because that's something I would like to do but so you know I think I think maybe age was a perspective thing too especially but also think too it's maybe who you surround yourself with when you're going through things like that it's another thing too is don't get me wrong I've had pretty much the same group of friends growing up and they're a good group of friends they're good group of girls and I only talked to a couple but at the time that I'm speaking of when I first got sick I was hanging out with a whole new group and that was another concern of mine I was like wow I'm sick like my good times are going to stop with them. Are they going to be friends with me? And I was concerned about that. And that was something that shouldn't have been of my concern, like, to begin with. Like, if they can't be my friend because I'm sick, then screw them. Like, that's not my problem. But I'm just like, you know, I shouldn't have, like, thought that. But then again, it's, you know, age. I can't sit there and beat myself up about it. You come and sharing your story like this. It's, like, so raw. And I think this is what people need to hear. Because I think a lot of things you're saying are things that sometimes aren't. Yeah, and I think a lot of people go and don't say it because it sounds bad. It really does. But when I think about it, I'm like, I can't beat myself up about it because I was 21 years old. Who, who is focused on their life and their career? 21, like. I mean, lots of people, Gabby, but <laughs> whatever. Um, but anywho, so I did. Um, day out. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had my transplant for 18 years. 2015, I went back on dialysis. I started um, with hemo, and I did hemo for six months, and I did not handle it well. I knew that as something that I did not want to do, um, but I I knew of other options because of me having my past, and so I wanted to do peritoneal, but I was nervous to ask because the one thing that I remember, oh, no, I remember what I was going to say. The one thing I remember is that they told me that I might not be able to do peritoneal later on in life because... Um, when I was younger, me and my brother had a water gun fight, 
and my bandage got soaked and um, I ended up getting peritonitis. So when we went in and did the scans and stuff, they were like, oh, your abdominal area is perfect. You can do PD. So that was like a gift. So I was able to do PD and I did do PD for about six years, six and a half years. Ultimately, I ended up losing my peritoneal dialysis catheter due to a fungal infection. Not entirely sure why I got it. It was a whole period in my life last year that was really tough on me. I was living, it was it was just a lot. I was living on my own, you know, taking care of my dogs, taking care of myself, living in a city where I had no friends, just my dad and my dad was gone half the time. I was working, I was living on my own and it, it I think it just came barreling down and got to be too much. And I think I started slowly, decreasingly just getting, experiencing burnout and stopped caring for myself the way that I was. And so maybe that's why, but I mean, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And you know, who would have said if I would have been on PD, maybe we wouldn't be doing this podcast still, or maybe I wouldn't have met you. That's true. I mean, at the end of the day, like, there's a point where it's okay to be tired and okay to have, like, maybe, like, a quote-unquote, like, bad period, but obviously you're here today and you've grown so much from that time. And I think another thing, too, is I got too stagnant being on PD. I was too okay with being normal. Like, it got to the point where I was like, I could do this. Like, I don't need a kidney. Like, I, I can do this. And I think that's kind of why I had to get that snap back into reality and get to where I'm at today because I don't think that mindset was where I was supposed to be if that makes sense um but to backtrack I was telling Naya that um growing up I was never told in my nephrologist appointments that it was going to be difficult to find a second match I've at this point I've known kids and other people who have gotten their second kidney and not had a problem um, but I think what happened with me is, so they say when you have, I, I have, I am highly sensitized. So that means I have a high PRA, which means I have built up of antibodies. Um, I'm hundred percent, which means I need a literal perfect six out of six antigen match in order for me to get my kidney, um, because I have antibodies. So what that means is that technically I have antibodies built up towards everybody in the world, right? It, that's just how it is. I, I guess I got to go to Africa, Australia or something to find a kidney. I don't know, but I'm not entirely sure how that works. The reason why I'm highly sensitized is one, they say there are three ways to get highly sensitized and one is pregnancies. So the more pregnancies you have, the more antibodies you're going to have, which no pregnancies over here. Another way is multiple transplants, which I only had one. So granted, yes, and it was good for so many years. So yeah, that's probably where I got some of the antibodies. But um, when I went into kidney failure and I had to go to Tampa General to get my um, access and started my dialysis. I went in for a chest catheter and the surgeon ended up putting it in wrong. And I I remember coming out and I was in so much pain and they're like, why are you in pain? I'm like, I, I just feel it in my back. Like, I don't, I don't know. I was breathe, right? Yeah, I couldn't breathe. I was screaming and they took me to my room and I was like, something's not right. Something's not right. So finally they came back and they looked and like, oh, the chest catheter's in the wrong position. They said, oh? Yeah. The chest catheter's in the wrong position. Okay, no problem. We'll go back into surgery. Well, <clears throat> I'm sitting there on the table and, 
or I'm sorry, they were taking me back. I was in the pre-op room and they're giving me anesthesia, they give me medicine through my port. And I'm like, why are you giving me medicine through my port? I'm here to get my port fixed. And they said, no, your port's not pulling, but we can give medicine in it. And I said, okay, no problem. You know what you're talking about. Like, okay, cool. So they give me a dose. They take me back and the surgeon's like, oh, weird, she's still awake. At this time, this is like my third catheter procedure, I think. So they just kind of, within a week, so they figured that I just got immune to the anesthesia. So they gave me another dose and he's like, well, I'm just going to start because you look like you're going to fall asleep soon. So I'm like, okay, no problem. When he meant start, I didn't know he meant like actually start because I think what he, I literally don't know what happened, but from what I remember, I remember something, feeling something sharp. So I think he like went to cut and he went because I moved because it hurt. I think when I moved, he nicked something. He nicked my artery. He nicked my artery in my heart. Excuse me, which caused me to Bleed bleed into my lungs. So I bled into my lungs and so you're a mm-hmm. my poor parents were out there and the, it's supposed to be a, a you know, a outpatient. So my poor, poor parents were sitting out there in the waiting room, like waiting for me. And then they just hear code blue, code blue. And they see the surgeon running and they just automatically oh. knew it was me. And he came to tell them, and he's like, yeah, the heart surgeon next to oh, the heart, you don't have to cry. It was meant to happen for a reason. The heart surgeon, but there's a good ending. I'll tell you something that happened good. But um, the heart surgeon that was next door ended up stopping his surgery and coming over and reviving me. Don't cry, you're gonna cry. But like, no, but what's so good about this is that I have grown so much from it that like, when I went to go get my chest catheter a few weeks ago, my mom was freaking out. She does not want me going to Tampa. And I'm like, I can't keep driving to Mayo Clinic and doing that four-hour drive every time something minor happens. Four-hour so, minimum. Right. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll tell them that I don't want that surgeon. So I told them I don't want the surgeon. And they were like, oh, okay, no problem. But then I get on the table and I'm like, who's the surgeon? And they're like, oh, whoever's available. I'm like, great. So I'm on the table and they say the surgeon's name and he comes in and I know damn well he knows who it is because he doesn't say shit to me. And the last few times he talked to me mm-hmm. and he asked me what kind of music I wanted and stuff. And he didn't ask me this time, but you know, this time I just took my deep breath. I prayed and I woke up and I wasn't in the ICU. So I think She's it was, here. I think it was meant to happen for a reason, like whether it was to get me to wake up and realize something or to realize I have a bigger calling or I don't know but I'm more at peace with it now than I was so I'm proud of myself in that aspect I'm proud of you too thank you I wish you didn't cry you don't got cry you don't make me cry <laughs> I'm sorry it's, it's just, okay it's just it's like I know the story but like I always feel because like you're my friend and like I feel for anybody but like you're my friend. Oh, I know. And no, it was so hard. I felt so, I feel so bad to this day because, like, my friends, Michelle and Jessica, they have PTSD because I was supposed to hang out with them. I was supposed to get out of my surgery and go do whatever I was supposed to do with them. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't hear from me, they were like, oh, that's weird. It was only supposed to be a couple hours. And, you know, a couple hours goes by, and Michelle has my mom's number. So she reached out. I was like, hey, what's going on? I can't get a hold of Gabby. And my mom was like, oh, my God. So she had to call Michelle. And Michelle was hysterical. Jessica was hysterical. Like, everybody was hysterical. And it just, for, it's just so crazy that it was supposed to be just a normal day. 
and it turned into a whole me being in the ICU for a week. And then I got pissed because the surgeon comes in the next morning after like I'm intubated, mind you. Yeah. I, I I was intubated and I tried to pull it out of my throat and I knocked somebody out. So they chained me to my bed. Like I woke up handcuffed to my bed, and it's like an episode of Law and Order. Yeah, I woke up handcuffed to my bed with a tube down my throat, so I couldn't talk. And I just remember looking and I see my dad, my aunt, and my mom all standing around my bed, like crying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is happening? Like, I was so confused. And they had to tell me. I didn't remember a lot. So, like, when they told me and then, like, throughout that hospital stay was really hard for me, especially when I was alone. And luckily, I didn't have many times alone. All my friends took turns staying with me. If my parents couldn't, I had friends come and stay with me. But the times that I were alone, I would remember things and, like, put pieces of the puzzle back together. That's some, like, traumatizing shit, dude. Oh, yeah, I had, like, night terrors for a while after. It took me a good, I was like, two or three years to get over, and I even tried to go to therapy about it, but I don't really know. I guess I'm over it now. I don't know what I did, but, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still have anxiety going into procedures and stuff like that, but I ultimately know, like, I'm going to be taken care of. That's what keeps me at bay. But another thing I want to cover is I say that my parents did me a disservice, and I don't mean it in a... They, I, I know that they were just protecting me, but um, we would go, you know, for my appointments to go see the nephrologist, and it went from every month to every two months, every three months, to every six months, like, and you're going to get there, too. My mom was the same way. She's like, are you sure you need to come back? It's going to be six months, like, and they're like, no, six months, she's going to be okay. But there was always a point, especially when I go with my dad, that um, at the end of the visit, they would kick me out of the room and talk to the doctor and looking back I, I see that now and I know they're trying to protect me but I think I should have been there for some of that conversation and granted these were pediatric nephrologists so they could have worded it better but I remember I had this one nephrologist I had two or I had three one of them I loved him to death he when I tell you he, I was really into blues clues as a kid and so this guy whenever he saw me he, he had on that Steve long sleeve green striped shirt and he would do the blues clues dance for me i loved him he was fucking incredible he was such an impeccable guy he was so funny too and then i had another one who was very militant it was a lady so ladies are usually very militant she was a very militant but she was she was a hard ass but she loved her patients so deeply whew it's gonna she passed a while ago so And then the third one was a good doctor too, but he was newer and I don't think he dealt with children, so I don't think he knew how to talk to them. And I just remember I was in middle school, like sixth grade, and he straight up looked at me and was like, There's gonna be a day where your kidneys aren't gonna work and you're gonna die. And like, I would have fucked them up even at like 12 years old. My my dad kicked me out of the room and he was like, Go. You know, I guess he said something. And I'm not the only patient that he did this to because one of my friends, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of my best friends, that I met in my sophomore year in high school, it's funny because she made a comment that I'm always missing school, and I made the same comment to her, and I was like, well, I go to the All Children's Hospital, that's why I miss, and she's like, oh, me too. She's like, what do you go for? And I said, oh, I have a kidney transplant, so I go, whatever, and she's like, no way, I have one too. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And she's like, yeah, my dad gave me your, I'm like, whoa. I was like, my dad gave me my kidney. Freaky Friday moment. Yeah, Freaky Friday, um... Parent trouble. <laughs> and then we start hanging out, and our parents are like, wait, we know each other. And it turns out that my dad mentored her dad for the transplant 
um, which I actually think is an excellent idea that they um, had that available back then. I second that. That's actually pretty dope. Seek firsthand experience. Yeah. I love that. So I guess my dad talked to her dad and, you know, told him what to expect with the surgery and everything. So that was pretty amazing in itself. So it's so weird that we never really connected, especially since they lived right down the street from us. So we would go to my appointments and it was just never expressed that I would have such a hard time finding a second donor. And I feel like a lot of it was to protect. But I also feel like because it was the 90s, they didn't know a lot because, you know, they had just started doing transplant a few years prior that they didn't know how it would affect people later on, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the first kidney transplant was in 1950s from like the twin brothers. I think so. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've even mentioned in other past episodes, like the actual technology behind it. It's really kind of old. <laughs> Hasn't yeah. changed since its oh. development. Yeah, not only that, but um, the way that my lobbyist I work with when I go to D.C. has explained it to me, he explained the reason why Medicare is the way that it is is because back in the 40s and 50s, think about it, people had long-term jobs that they were going to keep, mm-hmm. and they would go, they would miss their time that they had to to get transplanted and recovered, and then they would go back back still having their full coverage their job and everything we don't have that luxury nowadays and so it's kind of funny to think that a policy that was set in the 40s and 50s is still being maintained to this day when things are so dramatically different a thousand percent that's like a whole other topic we always kind of talk about because like medicare and insurance and it's a struggle bus. It's really, it gets me like frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one thing I want to touch base on is like, okay, so you've mentioned how you feel like your parents did you uh, like an indirect disservice by not explaining things to you. Do you think that's also um, because they weren't necessarily educated right as well? No, um, my parents are very educated. They asked a lot of questions. I think that they are just trying to protect me and my um i don't what do i say innocent mind maybe because my parents are very into the secret and you know beliefs and faithful and worship and all that and they strongly believe that i wouldn't have to go through this again but i guess the higher power had higher plans for me and i mean that's the way i look at it is that i mean yeah i can you know preach this all like okay for example say i still have my dad's kidney i don't remember the struggle so how can i sit here and preach to people that it's going to be okay and you know we all have to get through these things to be able to grow when i wasn't necessarily you know what i mean like if i still had the kidney and so like now that i lost it i'm able to have this whole experience and help people with my experience yeah because you i mean you would have been able to do it from like a younger perspective to like a younger demographic well now you could do a whole encompassing a group of young older whatever age and like i take a like whenever i see kids in the hospital or you know with kidney disease or whatever i have like a special place in my heart for them because like i was them And I mean, I may not remember it, but I see pictures and I see things and there's little pieces that I remember and especially like people throughout my life that have helped care for me that I still remember. And I'm sure it's gonna be the same for them too. Um, I also wanna preface, I meant like, I know your parents are educated, but do you think that the way that it was communicated to them was what I meant? Back then, you know, I think it falls in with the parenting style, like do as I say and not as I do. And, you know, and back then, parents weren't really, children weren't 
um, equals. No, that I totally understand. But I'm saying, like, when your parents were asking the questions, getting the information, do you think that the medical system didn't necessarily translate that into a long term? Oh, no. Okay. Because that's what I was trying to say when I said, like, um, the education they received from the medical system. That's why. I mean, granted, they always told me that, yeah, when you're older, you're going to need a kidney. But it wasn't, they didn't. Because they themselves didn't know the implications of what that really meant for you. Correct. Okay, that's, that's what I was trying to, that's what yeah, I was trying to, like, get to. trying to say because, you know, it was still so new back then. And you know what I found out that they do now is, like, when I was going through mine, my dad was the first runner-up, right? Mm-hmm. And now they don't want kids to get their parents as their first line of defense because in my situation, you're going to need another one later on. Who do you have to give it? And But then it kind of goes, it's like a catch-23, depending on your age or your parents, because right now my parents are too old to give to me. But Actually, no, hold up a second. They're technically not too old to donate. As long as they're in good health, there's people in their 70s or even like 80s. Who I thought will, the cutoff age was 65. No, there's people who, are, if, they're, if they're healthy enough, there's, they can donate. Oh, yeah. Because there's also I've also heard of stories where you have let's say for example um, like older patients I say late seventies early eighties who are kidney patients right who are very healthy for being in the situation even though they have an older body can still potentially tolerate a transplant they will I and mean, sometimes they use the older demographic who have passed who have maybe, who had like better health let's say or whatever. Um, they can still do that. I'm not sure how often it happens, but it definitely does happen. I don't know if this is a true thing or not, but I saw somebody who, I think it was in one of the groups, that they needed both kidneys, and so they got two pediatric kidneys. Mm-hmm. I've so, too. I, I thought that was so strange. I wonder what's the situation for, like, if that would... Um, I've heard that too. I've heard, I think it depends obviously the size of the adult as well. It makes sense to me though, because the kidney is a smart organ and it grows with you. That's another point I want to make is when I got my dad's kidney, my dad was 30 years old at the time and his kidney was so big and you know, I was turning five that when they put it in, I was going to the bathroom. Like I begged my mom to put me back in diapers because I was so tired of taking my butt to the bathroom and going to the bathroom. And so it took about, um, I want to say like a month or two for it to shrink down to my size so I thought that was pretty cool too that the kidney can grow or shrink yeah no, that's actually really really awesome I know sometimes too it depends but um I think it's quite awesome I wish in the future we could have people who like or don't have maybe the quote-unquote like typical path of transplants um who are a little bit different um you know I also I've always had a special place for donors and transplants because I've always been curious I've always liked to know things and I used to watch YouTube stories and like see people and girl I'll be crying all the time um because especially when it comes to children like you don't kids shouldn't have to go through that kids are so innocent they're so young why do I want to cry bro I think these hormones whatever but um kids shouldn't have to go through that so it breaks my heart and like you know with my algorithm on tiktok i see all types of people walks of life and if it makes you feel any better i guarantee you those kids are so well taken care of they get toys they get food they get anything and everything they want and you know you have it and you know at tampa we can have nurses that are shitty to us because we're adults but you can't be a pediatric nurse or a pediatric doctor and not you know be a shitty person you have to 
Yeah, but I think I know kids are taken care of, but it just sucks that a child has to go through that. It sucks because they don't know. They just know that it hurts. and Yeah, and it's just kids shouldn't have to go through that. And I just feel like it's just a whole little thing. So that's like, I was, I'm not a parent, but I could I could sympathize, you know? And then as an adult, having gone through it, I love my train of thought, but my whole point is that like, I think going back to like the whole kidney transplant, I wish we could have like people come on and tell their stories because I think it's really interesting, but it makes sense, you know? It makes sense that you'll get two and it could grow uniformly. I, I can't wait for the day that we don't have to take immunosuppressants anymore. Oh, I know. That's the worst part is immunosuppressants, and I hope that we can get there. I just, it's so crazy to me how, like, we don't have much innovation, and yet you have, I'm not dissing and saying that our condition is more important than anybody else's, but look at cancer and how much funding and research and stuff there is for cancer. And yeah, granted, we want every disease in the world to be cured yes. and whatnot, Um but I feel like kidneys, it's crazy because it's so simple. Everybody has two kidneys. All you got to do is give up one. And it's like, if literally the pole population just gave up one kidney, there would be no list. You know, technically, too, like a match of possibilities, even with high antibodies, if you think of the world as a big population, you technically match with at least six, ten people. Yeah. That's insane. And it's crazy. And, you know, whether it's people, granted, I know that there's people out there, which is, this was news to me, to be honest, is that to think that there's a group of people that don't have insurance or money to go to the hospital and they just are comfortable living the way that they are. Yeah, I don't think it's really about comfortability. I just think it just goes down to finances. I mean, okay, we may bitch and complain about how things are here with our insurance, but I've seen, I've, I've been curious. I've looked at, like, other countries, like, like I don't know whether it's Asia or, like, undeveloped countries and how they have to go through it. And I sometimes, I, I haven't done my full research, but, like, sometimes they have better protocol, um, but it's a little bit more hard to access. Um, but it is, it's, we are we have like that blessing to have that but it's still it's really difficult especially like we don't have okay i don't have children but i have like a husband i have a home that we run together right but imagine i can see why people have to just be like i'm going to sacrifice this but it shouldn't be like that no matter what part of the country or no matter where you're at because like you said it's your life right people don't ask for this people don't wish to live this it's for any kind of illness so i feel like in a way like I hate to use this word, but I feel like we're punished. We're punished for having a disease that we didn't ask for. You know, we try our best not to get or whatever, but things just happen. You know, they expect you not to, like, be able to live and things like that just because you're getting Medicare or, like, some assistance. I'm going off on a tangent, but the whole thing is, like, it's just, I think it's a human right to have healthcare. And to me, what I was saying is like, uh, for example, at the time that I got sick, I was hanging out with a group of guys. I, I would, they were my friends that I hung out with and I would have my problems and I'd be like, oh, I got to cut on my finger. I got to go to the doctor and see if this is infected. Like, aha. Uh-huh. And then they'd be like, dude, I'm like shitting blood. I'm like, oh, you should go to the doctor. And they're like, no, why, why would I do that? And I'm like, it wasn't a thought in my head that people don't go to the doctor. But I also think there's this thing that just because you're young or not, you don't you're you're healthy which technically yes but at the same time like there's genetics there's outside and like elements that will expose you to things and your body will mutate and change so sometimes for the better sometimes for the worse so i think there's this ideology where it's like i'm young i'm fine because i had that to like certain extent like i believe that but at the end of the day because we're so focused on whether as you said like socializing and finding or finding yourself or your working career that you're like 
I'm fine. I'll go like once a year or maybe twice a year, you know, and I'll pay out of pocket or I'll have like the basic insurance, you know. My mom always said, get your ass insurance. <laughs> like, make sure you have insurance, whether get what you could afford, but if you could splurge a little bit, like, just get some sort of insurance. Like, I remember when my mom transitioned jobs and I was like in high school, we didn't have insurance for a little bit, but my mom still went to like a local doctor and she made it work. Like, she's like, we'll just get your checkup and, you know, we'll be fine for the future. I got really lucky. I was always in my dad's insurance, but when my parents split, um, my dad went MIA for a while. And so we kind of had to fend for ourselves. My mom was, like, freaking out. Like, she didn't know what she was going to do to afford my medicines. So, you know, can I give your mama a shout out? <laughs> I love Mama Tammy. Tammy is amazing. I think she is so smart, so kind. She is just, she's she's a good one. She's a good mom, and she's very resourceful, so I give her that. She she actually really is. She's actually been very kind to me as well with her resources and just overall. Um, and eventually we'll have her on the podcast. <laughs> Hi, Mama Tammy. You guys will get to meet her. But she did she did her research and she found CMS and it ended up being a godsend for us because do you know like how much weight that took off of her for me to get a bill in the mail and all my things were covered because I had child medical services like yeah. it, it's amazing and it's so crazy and it's it, like you think about it it's like it should be like universal health care should just be a thing people like come on great I think that it should be I think it's a right um I think you should have that and I've always said I'd rather pay into a universal health care system than like the dumb shit our taxes go to and that's what I wish like our taxes like were itemized so we could see what it's going to but anyways one of our secretary I think secretary Azar um, is really big in the kidney community and he is um, his dad and the reason why is because his dad went through kidney failure and I think his dad actually passed he, um, I think his name is Alex Azar if you want to look him up I don't remember I think he's a secretary but I don't remember what state I don't know how that works I'm going to be completely honest like <laughs> I know House and Representatives and Senate and whatever, but that's, like, about it. I'm not... What are the three branches of government? Judicial. Legislative. Yeah. You can't forget this one. What is the other one? Judicial, legislative. I don't remember the other one. Is it? Huh? Executive. Executive, yeah. But... Anywho, leading me back to today, I had my kidney for 18 years. 2015, I went back on dialysis, and I've actually done every modality that you could possibly do. I spent the first six months on hemo, and then I did uh, six and a half years on PD. I went from PD to to hemo back in center, and uh, during in center, I I don't like in center. I'm sorry, I, I really don't. It is the most depressing place to be. Most of the time, the techs are great. Sometimes it's the patients, and it's it's just a really sad place. And I I'm not my optimal self doing that, and I'm so uncomfortable going there that um, I actually opted in for home hemo. <laughs> Little did I know what home hemo entailed. Um, it's been a road. But I don't think I would change it for anything, to be honest. I'm really, really proud of you. I think we actually, like, we've connected on TikTok, but I think we connected past, like, six months, I'd say. And that's when you started doing your home hemo training and stuff. Yeah, that's when we started, like, really talking every day and stuff. Um, you've come a long way. It's not easy. I've always told you kudos because I could never. I did ho- I did in-center. Never say never because I said, I'm, I say you will never catch me on home hemo. You will never catch me sticking myself and... Here I am. I mean, interesting enough, I in theory, I could stick myself. So I want to stick myself. No, because for me, mentally, sticking myself always made it more real. 
So like, I want to give the responsibility to someone else. <laughs> I know it sounds wrong, but I don't mind sticking myself. I've gotten past that hump, and I can do it. My thing is, see, right now I'm using my catheter. I have my cat, my graft, but I've been using my catheter solely for the purpose that I was having so many issues between my machines, between my machine, my site. Um, you know, yeah, my pressure, you know, everything that I needed a simplicity to have those wins so that I can move forward and be okay with doing this. But now the problem is, is I've been too stagnant and comfortable using my catheter because everything is going so smooth that, you know, I kind of, I'm like, well, should I? And I'm kind of going back and forth between, do I go back to the needles? Do I stay here? Like I'm in limbo and I don't know what to do. Well, you'll find something that works for you, but just... I would say, do it. Try once a week. Try once a week, um, and try with the needles. Let's say, for example, like your schedule is Monday through Friday, right? Um, or Monday to Thursday, four times a week. If you try on Thursdays and it doesn't work, then you try on Friday, and you go back to your catheter. So every week, give yourself that one day that you're gonna try. That's a good over. idea. Plan it so that like you're not hurting yourself in terms of like fluid overload or things like that, so that you have that break. Like, okay, no, it's not going to work out, but tomorrow I'll do my dialysis with my catheter. And each week try to progress that way. And then you eventually do a little bit more and find that group. That's true. I like that idea. I might do that. Like, start with once a week at least. Yeah, once a week. It gives you like a perfect opportunity. But, you know, you'll find your groove and hopefully your kidney comes soon. And I think so. I feel so close. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but when Rachel was telling us earlier, like, she just felt like I've been more at peace with what I'm doing lately. And so, and I think, like, I don't know if I told you the other day, but I did tell you about how I got a phone call and they're like, oh, you've been transplanted, so we're coming to pick up your machine. I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I'm not. Like, I think that was a sign. I think Josh getting his kidney was a sign because um, if anything, Joshua getting his kidney, like, gave me more hope because he's been waiting longer than I have. And he has the antibodies too. So if he can get his kidney, then what's to say I don't deserve mine? I don't think it's even like about deserving it. I think that your time is just coming because you're getting kind of all these things. And in a way, I agree with you. Like there was some things that were, from my experience, like felt like it was, that's it. Like this isn't going to be your reality much longer for now. Is there anything else you want to say? Because we could always do like a part two to this if you'd like, or. I don't know if I'm missing out on anything. Am I missing anything? The only thing is uh, you said if I had any regrets, I do regret I used to travel as much as I could when I was on PD, and it was very, it wasn't simple to travel, but it was doable for me. I mean, it, granted, it took me an hour to two hours to pack up my car with all my supplies, but I wish I would have done it more, but the way I looked at it back then is that it was too much a has, of a hassle to, because think about it, I'm traveling by myself, right? I have to pack up my own car, unpack my own car, set everything up, and it just, to me, was a hassle that wasn't worth it. And now I'm like kicking myself in the ass because I thought that was a hassle. Imagine if I would travel with my fucking he home hemo shit, like. Oh yeah, that's a whole other thing. But I mean, you did, you did travel and you made it work, which is like the the push behind it, which is good, even though it stop you. Which you know, at the end of the day, if you could technically travel, it's a little bit extra work, but it's all it's all pretty good. So I think this is a great episode. I'm happy like you shared a lot more, and like you guys can always go back to like the first episode. We're going to keep it on anyways you know we, we talked about like the childhood from what you remember in terms of transplant so 
Uh, I think this is really, really awesome. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Yeah, I like this part too. I think this went a lot better because like you were trying to fish for more last time and I'm like, what more do you want me to give you? But it, it makes sense and like I hope this gives more people because I, I, I listened to the last one and now it's not for anything, but I sounded like so shallow and I, like I didn't mean to sound shallow. Just I felt like I'm always rushed to tell my story that I try and I don't think before I say a lot of things either that it just comes out like word vomit but then listening back I'm like I didn't give you guys any insight to anything so I really hope that this shows you who I am what I want to accomplish and what I've been through and hopefully you yeah get an idea and get to know me and any questions concerns comments complaints um anything else you want to know like even if you want to share your story if something's similar please reach out to us like we want to be able to interact with you guys more than anything that's 100 percent. we definitely want to go ahead and like speak learn and i think we can all like learn from each other i think that's part of like being part of a community and just like especially like when you have no clue what the fuck is going on like you know or sometimes too like if you're depending on like what age group you're in and you're dealing with something sometimes it's hard to to find people who maybe understand a couple things you're going through like you know for example like if you're um, a woman who's trying to have a baby and either pre or post transplant or whatever other chronic kidney, that's another important thing I'd like to discuss eventually too. So there's so many like things that we can discuss, but guys, this was, this was kind of emotional too for me. Yeah, it was I, emotional for me too. Yeah, I think we cry kind of threw you off too. I'm so sorry. But all right, guys, with that being said, you guys will hear this shortly and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.